You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. The following is a presentation of A's Cast, your free 24-7 nonstop destination for A's baseball. Go to athletics.com slash A's Cast to download the app. Restrictions apply. It's now time for A's Unfiltered with Chris Townsend. From amazing stories to colorful personalities, join us as we go in-depth with the men and women that make up the Oakland Athletics Organization. It all starts right now. Time for another edition of A's Unfiltered with Chris Townsend. Hope everybody is doing well. we got a good show for you as we are going to have Alex Jensen's going to sit down with the former GM, and he does a great job on television. And that is Steve Phillips is going to be with us here. We're also going to speak with Susan Slusser, our A's insider from the San Francisco Chronicle. We'll go over your Oakland Athletics as we recently had her on A's Cast Live. And she is also the co-author of the book, If These Walls Could Talk, with our own Ken Korak. So it'll be a lot of fun talking to Susan. But the first guest you are going to hear... And you might hear the applause in the background as, yes, I'm still at the Coliseum, uh, is Travis, Travis Sawchick. Travis Sawchick has recently written a book called The MVP Machine, how baseball's new nonconformists are using data to build better players. I thought this was very fascinating. That's why I wanted to play it for you as he is going to talk about the Houston Astros and player development because that's the new thing, right? We used to think about analytics and sabermetrics and all that kind of stuff and math equations. Now it's about high-tech cameras. It's about radar. It's about TrackMan. How do we make these really good players even better? How did they make Justin Verlander better in Houston? We go over all of that. Here is Travis. All right, his first book was Big Data Baseball, Math Miracles and the End of a 20-Year Losing Streak. Of course, that is a book that is about the Pittsburgh Pirates. Went 20 years being under 500, and now he is the co-author of The MVP Machine, How Baseball's New Nonconformists Are Using Data to Build Better Players. Travis, I want to thank you for taking the time, and I can't wait to read this book. Thanks for having me on. It's great to be with you. So when I, I you know, we were just in, in Tampa Bay, and I was with the A's, and, you know, two of the, you know, more analytical franchises, it is so interesting to watch these teams that are not spending a lot of money but can continue to compete with the big boys in their sport. Yeah, and we all know uh, 16 years ago, as Michael Lewis chronicled, the A's changed baseball and how front offices are comprised and how teams think about uh, evaluating what's important on a baseball field with the Moneyball era, and every team has some sort of Moneyball-like thinking or component to its front office. But in today's game, with that uh, market inefficiency gone, that competitive advantage gone, teams and individual players have to look elsewhere for advantages. And Ben Lindbergh, uh, my co-author, and I argue that it is in player development where the advantage is in today's game, and it's the start of the next thing after Moneyball is this era of elevating skill levels and talent levels and rethinking what players' individual ceilings are and uh, major league teams trying to take this idea to scale throughout their system, like the Astros have done so well, like uh, the Tampa Bay Rays and some other, some other clubs are doing really well. So we argue that this is the next big thing in baseball, and that's that's what our new book focuses on. Is player development is the new market inefficiency in baseball. There's no question. It is so real, and it'll tie into golf. As I was down at Pebble Beach today for the U.S. Open, and I remember having this conversation with my brother, who's a teaching professional in San Diego. And my brother used to test for Titleist in the early 90s using TrackMan. And it's like, baseball, oh, wow. it's like baseball is kind of, well, you know, TrackMan was built to really show you the golf ball goes farther, the clubs are there, because they were trying to sell equipment. They weren't trying to make, ba- they weren't trying to make players better. They were trying to make money. And it's interesting how finally baseball has caught on board when we have all these high-tech cameras, we have radar, we have TrackMan. And as you mentioned, the Houston Astros, and I was talking about this earlier, they can look at a guy like Justin Verlander and they can say, hey, Verlander in Detroit, you know what? 
Verlander, if we get him here with what we have, we can make him better. Talk about how the Astros have been so good at that. They'll take your guys and turn them into better baseball players. Right. We argue that they are the vanguard of this. They're the model of player development and getting more out of players. And Verlander is a great example. Garrett Cole is another good example. Ryan Presley in the bullpen, another great example. They're bringing all these pitchers and they show them not just what pitches are more effective and where they should throw them, but they also have all this high speed, slow motion video that they capture. And they showed Verlander how to adjust his slider grip to throw his most efficient, best breaking slider. Uh, same thing with Garrett Cole, Charlie Morton, all these guys have the data, the video, the combination of these factors. Uh, and it goes throughout their system. With most teams, are just kind of experimenting with high-speed cameras this spring, uh, the Edutronic high-speed camera, which is sort of like TrackMan. It wasn't designed for baseball. But Trevor Bauer famously purchased the first Edutronic camera to help develop his two-seamer five years ago, and the Astros were the first team to really invest in these cameras. And so as most teams invested in their first this offseason, the Astros had 75 of these cameras hard-mounted throughout their minor league system at their major league ballpark, and they were capturing video this high-res, slow-motion video on every major every major league pitch grip, a lot of minor league pitch grips and biomechanical movements, and they were using, the, using this data in part to learn the best pitch grips, to learn the best movements of the pitcher and hitter, uh, to look at bat paths, along with pitch tracking data, track man that you mentioned, and they're using all this information to teach better. Uh, they've hired more like-minded coaches. A few years ago, they essentially fired every traditional-minded pitching coach in the organization and replaced them with younger, often college coaches who are in line with the front office's vision. And what we see is that the Astros, it's not just the major league, major league level. If you look at their system from rookie ball to AAA last year, they led the minors at their affiliates in strikeout rate and spin rate on pitches. Uh, launch angle, they were leading in all these desirable characteristics, and they've created this conveyor belt of sorts, this sustainable machine, because they're buying in to the idea, this growth mindset, that your skill level and talent level is not fixed. There are better ideas, better tech, better data to build better baseball players. Is this the type of stuff that's in the book? It absolutely is. We have a whole chapter dedicated to the Astros. Uh, and if you mentioned the Rays, you look at what they did with uh, Tyler Glass now, before he had the injury this year, Austin Meadows, Yandy Diaz, they're taking all these guys in and getting more out of them. And I, the A's have success stories, too, of getting more out of players. And But the Astros, we argue, are the vanguard of this, and teams are trying to catch up. Yeah, that's why I, I, I'm very interested in reading your book, and you know that the, the people who are listening to us right now are going to be very interested because, as, as you mentioned, Moneyball, but this is taking Moneyball to a whole new level. The book is called The MVP Machine, How Baseball's New Nonconformists Are Using Data to Build Better Players. And what just shows you how sometimes baseball is so archaic, Travis, is that we had college baseball teams using this kind of information and high-tech cameras and radar before big league teams were using it. <laughs> That's right. Uh, one of the parts I love about this story is that this isn't a top-down driven story like Moneyball was, where you know, Billy Bean has this vision of how things should be done, and he forces it down the throats of the whole, entire organization. And, while he's right, it was very top-down driven, where our story is bottom-up. A lot of the best ideas and a lot of this tech started at the college level, the amateur ranks, or at independent facilities, like uh, Craig Wallenbach's Craig, Craig hitting facility, Doug Lada's hitting facility in Los Angeles, Driveline Baseball in Seattle, all these places outside the pro game. A lot of these ideas have trickled up. Uh, Derek Falvey, who is now the Twins GM, he was in Cleveland, he was an assistant in Cleveland before he took over the Twins job, and he would go to college coaching clinics. He was the first executive to show up at these things because he was in search of new ideas. The pro game was very closed where each major league organization was kind of like its individual fortress or silo and no one wanted to share ideas. They looked at each other's competitors, which they were, but Falvey found the college game to be much more open and he was fascinated by these ideas. Uh, how coaches were using weighted balls and high-speed cameras and building their own contraptions to try to make players better. Uh, Wes Johnson was one of these coaches he was fascinated with, and he hired Wes Johnson to to be the Twins pitching coach this year, the first uh, direct college to major league jump uh, as, as a coach or manager to be done in 40 years. 
which speaks and highlights how this is changing. Driveline Baseball had eight uh, employees hired by major league organizations this offseason. As we were reporting the book, we had to keep updating all these guys being hired <laughs> by pro teams in search about these ideas. So that's a really cool component. Teams like Missouri, Iowa, North Carolina were ahead of most pro teams and developmental practices, which is crazy to think about. But that's how far behind pro baseball had become. It's just so unbelievable to me. I, I, it's just when I think about it, and I, and I don't like to bag on my sport because I love my sport, but it just shows you, and that's why we call this adapt or die, and we take the uh, we, we take from Moneyball where Billy Bean in Moneyball, Brad Pitt says, well, here, we're going to play it for you. This is what this is what we do right here, and this is, uh, you, you'll like this. This is from the movie Moneyball. It's time for Adapt or Die. On A's Cast Live. You don't put a team together with a computer, Billy. <laughs> I love that. And that's yeah, and, and Billy Bean said it, adapt or die, and a lot of people in baseball. I mean, think about how long ago Moneyball was. And I remember being here in the Bay Area, and I know Billy well. It, it, it changed not only baseball, but it changed all the other teams and all the other sports because everybody started making their employees read it. And then businesses got a hold of it because the book was so popular and the movie was so popular. And then people in other businesses, other lines of work, started making their employees read it. It's like, how are we not trying to get better? Why are we trying to block what, what can make our sport, our business better? Yeah, it's it's amazing, and you still hear people complain about analytics and data and sport, too, which is really remarkable, because we're 16 years out from that book being published, and all the information is, and I hear people complain about launch angle and spin rate, uh, like it's difficult to grasp, and maybe it's more on broadcasters and media to make it more digestible, but, you know, Babe Ruth had a launch angle, and it was pretty, it was a good launch angle, it's something people some people complain about today. Walter Johnson had a spin rate. Bob Feller had a spin rate. It's just that today we can measure them. We have the technology to measure this stuff. Trackman uh, came online in 2015 in all the major league stadiums with StatCast, and Rapsodo is an important mobile pitch tracking device that we see in batting practice now in uh, minor league bullpens. I, I just was a double-A game in, in Akron here in Ohio last week, and the Phillies brought out the Rapsodo unit for batting practice to measure the exit velocity and spin rate of what their hitters were doing. We're doing the same thing they brought out to the bullpen. And you combine the Rapsodo uh, with the Edutronic camera, and you have the most powerful Rosetta Stone in sport today, I'd argue right now, when it comes to pitch design. Uh, and the Rapsodo is a little different than TrackMan because it gives you the spin axis of a pitch. And what is a pitch? It does three things. It's a velocity, it is a spin rate, and it is a spin axis. And if you can understand how to create the spin axis you want with your grip and wrist location, you can create any pitch you want. And we followed Trevor Bauer's development of his slider last year, which he didn't have after the 2017 season. He wanted to build one. And he used the Edutronic camera to see exactly how his fingers were imparting spin on the ball and influencing the spin axis last winter. And he created uh, one of the best sliders in baseball last year. It's become even better this year. It leads all major league sliders and horizontal or, you know, that side to side movement. And he just used the camera and Rapsoda to do this. It's, uh, does he have some special physical qualities? He argues he doesn't. Could everyone do this? Perhaps not, but more pitchers could. And it'll be fascinating to see if there's a critical mass that develops one day where more pitchers are learning how to create better, more efficient breaking balls. And what that means for hitters, it's going to become harder to hit. Travis Shawchick, you can read him at 538, but also you can read the book. He's a co-author of The MVP Machine, How Baseball's New Nonconformists Are Using Data to Build Better Players. So you're saying this is the new wave. How do you make your players better? How do you get other people's players and make them better? Let's take it a step further is the next big wave is getting this all this kind of data on minor league players and college players to where it helps you elevate guys through your minor league system and also who to draft. Yeah, it's like the teams like the Astros that have done it the best to date of taking this to scale throughout their entire system and getting more out of guys. And, uh, you know, whether it's, you look at a guy like Josh James last year, who's not on any prospect radars to begin the season, and he ends up in their bullpen at the end of the year throwing 100 miles an hour 
with a wipeout slider and changeup. It's like, where did this guy come from? Uh, Kyle Tucker's another guy they're getting a lot out of. You just look at their system. They don't just have a great major league team. They have a great minor league team. And they haven't been drafting that high lately, and they even blew some top picks like the Mark Appel pick, but they are getting more out of the players they draft. Uh, and at the college ranks, we're seeing, as we mentioned earlier, there are some colleges that are doing this very well, but we're going to see more and more that are doing it very well. And what's what's interesting is we'll see more, what I predict we'll see, is more amateur players come to the pro game with better skills, with better talent levels, and they'll... Uh, they'll be closer to major league ready. They'll be pushing those that aren't. And I think we'll continue to see the average age of major league players decline. And that has, you know, a lot of ramifications as far as what that means for free agency and other things. But I think we're going to see more and more, uh, younger players, higher skill levels. And, uh, you know, that's, that's an interesting kind of ramification and side effect of this movement. Well, uh, Travis, as you mentioned it, we're seeing it as we speak where the top players in baseball are all under 30, and no one wants to pay guys that are over 30, and that is a problem with the upcoming CBA. But the good news is for baseball is that the majority of these guys that are under 30 have signed some type of extension, so they're going to want to play versus some type of labor stoppage. But, yeah, that's the thing. It's like younger players are going to be better, and that's going to be death for the older players uh, the game is changing. You adapt or die, as Billy Bean once said. That's exactly right. And we argue it's never changed so quickly. And we quantify uh, in the book, uh, we make an argument, and we prove it through some statistics that the average talent level of the game has always you know, slowly increased decade to decade, year by year, typically. But it's that has exploded. It's growing exponentially now because of, in part, this movement and skill development. And we're going to see the talent level continue to increase, uh, just as we've seen pitching velocity continue to continue to spike year after year. Uh, we're going to see better breaking balls. We're going to see hitters with more optimized swings. I mean, what happens when the J.D. Martinez and Justin Turner basically lost major league jobs when they decided to reinvent themselves. They were not the best athletes on the field. They reinvented their swings. They got on board with the modern swing plane and, uh, you know, worked with outside instructors. What happens when the best athletes begin to practice and train in these ways? Well, you get a guy like Mookie Betts last year who went on to win the MVP. So it's interesting. Uh, this has all sorts of ramifications and it's, it's really exciting, but it, it leaves some questions too. Like if everyone optimizes their skill sets, that means more strikeouts, more home runs, uh, less fewer balls in play. And, you know, I have a four-year-old son, and is this going to be the kind of game that is attractive to, you know, a casual young fan where the ball is never put in play? Are you going to want to watch that on TV? I don't know. From It might not be great for the fan experience, and that's something we also explore in the book. And a big problem, and everybody's starting to get on board, is not only are players getting better and changing how they play, a lot of people in this game think there's a juiced ball effect too. So if everybody's getting better and everybody's throwing harder and everybody's hitting the ball further and the ball is juiced, I agree. I don't think that's a good thing. I think Major League Baseball really needs to look into the baseball. What do you think? Yeah, there's been some really fascinating research, and there's a lot of players who anecdotally believe there's something different, whether it is the lowered seams or the the ball is slightly smaller, the core principles. Uh, yeah, it sure seems like there's something going on, in addition to more hitters lifting the ball in the air. And, you know, Josh Donaldson, another a former A, who was another one of these early adopters of the modern swing plane, uh, if you have a juice ball, you have more hitters getting the ball in the air, and Major League launch angle has increased every year Stackhouse has been around. It's a recipe for a lot of home runs, and ballparks have also gotten smaller too, and guys are going to continue to get bigger and stronger, you'd think. So, yeah, it's another uh, it's another conundrum for the game. And what's interesting, I'll be fascinated to see this partnership Major League Baseball has with the Independent Atlantic League that they've begun this year and next year, they're going to move the mound back to 62 feet at midseason and see what that, see what that means for uh, the style of play. I think the idea is to kind of combat velocity games and what would that mean for major league play and getting the ball in play. So if we look at baseball as a living document, we might have to be okay with some rule changes down the road to, to combat this optimization of the game and the things we document in the book. Really? They're going to move the mound back in the, in, in the experimental league? 
They are, and it's, it's going to be really fun to see what see what that means. But yeah, next summer in the Atlantic League, they're going to move the pitching mound back to 62 feet and six inches, and uh, you know that should give hitters more reaction time. But there's a counter argument that well, that's just going to mean that sliders slide more and curveballs break more, and it's going to be even harder to hit breaking balls. So it's going to be fascinating to see what that means for strikeout rate and balls in play and all sorts of things. You just blew my mind. Oh my God! <laughs> yeah, I'm I'm really curious to follow that, and you know it's in part to response to what we're seeing with the strikeouts and the home runs and the velocity and guys getting better and better and better. Uh, yeah, and it's yeah, it's it's not just baseball. You watch Jeopardy, and Jeopardy James ruins the game because he optimizes it. So are they gonna? It's uh, the spelling bee. There's like eight kids that tie for a championship because they ran out of words this year. So it's not just baseball where skill it, skill levels are enhanced and being optimized, but it's the game we love and that we cover, and we think we're in the midst of something, a really big movement and revolution in the sport. Hey, we, we got the Golden State Warriors. You know, we, we have learned that taking a three is better than taking a two. I mean, everything, every sport is changing in front of us. I cannot wait to read this book, so please send us a couple copies. That would be incredible. We'd love to give it out to our audience. Once again, the book is The MVP Machine, How Baseball's New Nonconformance nonconformists are using data to build better players. Travis, we've got to have you on again. Thank you so much for the time. This was great. Thank you. Fascinating conversation with Travis Shawchick. Once again, the book, The MVP Machine, it gets referenced all the time now on the MLB Network. Hopefully we're going to get a couple copies soon and we're going to give them out on A's Cast Live and I can't wait to read it myself. Well, my next guest, you know, is one of uh, everybody's favorite. She's one of my favorites. She's a good friend, and uh, I've been bringing her on all my shows for all these years on all the different radio stations, and nobody better, and I mean nobody better, covering the Oakland Athletics than the great Susan Slusser. Here's Susan. She's our A's insider from the San Francisco Chronicle. Susan Slusser joins us. Susan, the road trip from hell is over, and we're back home. Thank goodness. It was nice to have you be a part of it, though, Tony. I almost felt like it was my fault. I, you know, it might have been. I, you know, I don't, I don't remember any other trips where the plane had the, the wing damaged by stairs. I didn't even know that was a thing. <laughs> yeah, it was, it was, it was. So the A's win on that Sunday, and all of a sudden we get a text. The plane's been damaged. Another plane has to come. It's going to be a while. And no, this is not a joke. That's the text we got. <laughs> so we, we all went over to uh, Texas Live, had more barbecue, drank some beers, watched uh, the Stanley Cup final, and uh, four and a half hours later, we were on our way to Tampa. Yeah, there's worse ways to spend some time. Yeah, it worked out. It worked out. You know, I was just saying, and you've been around this for a long time, you know, I don't think it's completely set in that tonight is the last night that they will ever play the Warriors at Oracle. And before you know it, we'll be talking about the last football game ever at the Coliseum and that a city and a county that have always shared this facility and these teams, they're losing two professional sports teams basically back-to-back. And the only team that's going to be in Oakland and still be playing in Alameda County is the Oakland A's. I'm not sure that is completely set in with everybody. Yeah, I, I'm with you. It, it doesn't seem real. It really doesn't. I mean, at least the Warriors are just going across the bay. I know it's not ideal for East Bay folks, longtime Warriors fans. And, you know, all the people that were there through all the down years, you know, people that have had season tickets and, and suffered through a lot of last play seasons and have, have gotten the chance to really enjoy the resurrection of the franchise. Some of those people are going to be priced out or just are flat not going to want to go over the other side. The Raiders, what can you say? I mean, I think the A's certainly are going to be, you know, I I don't think the A's had any wish to see the Warriors leave. But when the Raiders leave, at least the A's can do what they want with that building. They can reconfigure some things. They can make use of more storage space, uh, which is severely lacking, as you know, Townie there. Um, You know, and and, uh, it really focused. Uh, Oakland's attention on keeping them and making sure that they have a world-class facility somewhere. 
Yes, I spoke with Dave Cavill earlier today for the podcast on Ace Cast that we called The Build, and we're going to play it coming up here at the top of the hour. And Dave got more votes. He got a more a, another unanimous vote. It's just I, I'm calling him like a pro bowler. He just keeps getting up there and keeps knocking down the pins. And the A's are getting closer than they've ever been, Susan, to getting a new ballpark. Got a long way to go, but they're getting a lot closer. Yeah, I mean, it's, they're doing all the right things. Uh, and I think the things are starting to line up. There are a lot of obstacles. We talked about this a lot, Townie. They did not choose the easiest spot to for as their preferred site. Um, you know, there are a lot of question marks there, but so far so good. And that's at the very least encouraging. And as you know, you know, they're, they're continuing this dual track thing where they're also working to purchase the Coliseum's land and all that acreage. Uh, and so far they're taking all the right steps to do that. Uh, you know, they plan to develop that without a ballpark with residential and retail and all that kind of good stuff. Uh, but you know, it's potentially, they say there's no plan B, but that seems like a pretty decent plan B should they need one in the, in the event, which we do not certainly don't hope, but if the event they need one, they'll have a really nice piece of property where obviously ballparks can work. Yeah. The two property thing, as Dave Cavill likes to say, it's kind of his thing. It's what he did in San Jose with the earthquakes. Yeah. 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 Hey, you know what? It's uh, it certainly makes sense. Develop one, fund the other one. That's especially in the Bay area. Why not? That's that's great. More land, the better, right? If you're a developer, no, no, no doubt about it. And it just, uh, you know, and we'll we'll end this part of that uh, segment uh, talking about the properties in the new stadium. It's just for the first time, I think a lot of people who are around the A's, whether people work for the A's who have been here for a long time, or people like yourself, I think we're all really starting to believe. Wouldn't you say? Yeah, I mean, this is, I think, certainly it's been more positive developments in this last, not even calendar year, in this, you know, maybe the last eight, nine months than there have been, you know, the entire time I've covered the the A's, uh, even going back to when I was a backup in Sacramento. So that's, you know, 30-some years. This is, it's pretty monumental what's been getting done. Long way to go, long way to go, you know, don't. Uh, you know, I, I don't want people to start putting down 2023 in their calendars and ink, I, I would say, to temper that a little bit. But certainly, um, you know, Dave Cavill is a man on a mission, and he's somebody I would, you know, I would I would bet on if I were a betting person. Susan Slesser from the San Francisco Chronicle joins us here on A's Cast Live, which you can hear on A's Cast, powered by TuneIn. So I I made this comparison. I want to see what you think about it because getting to the ballpark early, boy, was I impressed with how hard the Rays work. I mean, they're working on infield. They're doing so much before batting practice, during batting practice. To me, they work like they're a Japanese team, and that was the best work ethic I've ever seen, those Japanese teams. What do you think about the work ethic of the Rays, and can you compare them the way they work like the Japanese teams we've seen at the Tokyo Dome? Yeah, I think that's a really good comparison. Now, we don't see them enough for me to know if, you know, there are some days they do much more uh, than other days. But, yeah, I was very impressed. And you know what? You look at that team, you look at the lineup, and it's not necessarily the most imposing lineup, uh, but it's effective. Uh, the way Kev Cash uses everybody, uses his personnel, he's creative, uh, you know, he's mixing and matching. We know that the, the Rays kind of do things a little bit like the A's do, and they like to think outside the box. They do that as well as anybody in baseball. Of course, that rotation, that's right. There. I mean, the rotation is spectacular and the A's go in there and do a very nice job of taking two or three out of uh, from a red hot team that is very very good yeah and 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 we don't want to make excuses because this league is about two things winning and losing and I talked with Bob Melvin about this on the Bob Melvin show you know we're not going to make excuses for the team but they face a lot of adversity on this trip. The travel was bad, late nights, early mornings, not a whole lot of sleep. So at the end of the trip, to take two out of three, that was pretty big for this ball club. Yeah, go six and four on the trip. And, you know, two of the games, two of the losses were, you know, ones that really could have gone either way. Uh, so, uh, and probably could have, uh, or even should have gone the other way. So, uh, yeah, very nice. It kind of reminded me, do you remember, Tony, at the beginning of 2014, the A's had a brutal schedule. 
It was the first half was all three city trips. Every trip had an East Coast portion. People went like, oh, how are they going to get through this? Coming off of two playoff appearances, the schedule is going to kill them. That's the year that first half they were spectacular, went with, you know, seven all-stars and setting all sorts of, you know, records for run differential. And, you know, we know what happened after that. A little bit of a, you know, the schedule got easier. But, you know, uh, I, I think that this, this year's team, the fact that they do respond to a little adversity like that, that's a really good sign, you know, because this is not, uh, it's not really going to necessarily get easier from here for them. All right, let, I've been waiting to ask you this, and I want to ask David Force this because he's been around. Why is it that the A's take out 2014, all these other years, whether you go back into the early 2000s, you go back to 2012, you go back to last year, the, 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 the players change, the manager changes, the coaches change, but yet this is a franchise that in the really good years, so many years, they get off the bad starts, then all of a sudden they get hot in June and away they go. Why is that? Why has that happened for, for basically like the last 20 years? Yeah, I mean, it has. Almost every single good team and, and pretty much all the bad teams have gotten off to very slow starts. And you, know, you can point to a few things. Typically they're young players. Typically they're, you know, they're bringing in new guys. Um, maybe it's taken a while for people to, to mess. You know, I remember the years Kotze, Frank Thomas, guys like that came in. They both got off to really slow starts. Piscotti got off to a slow start last year. Chris Davis is traditionally a slow starter. They have guys, for whatever reason, who are themselves traditionally slow starters. And that, you know, when you're talking about guys of that caliber, that can certainly affect your scoring. Uh, the, the ballpark, you know, sometimes it's colder in April. Now, uh, yes, it goes both ways. But it's harder to hit the ball out of the park when it's cold. We all know that. So, you know, more night games typically before school's off. So, uh, you know, those are the, some of the things that I've heard over the years. I couldn't tell you. I mean, who knows? I don't know if anybody would. That might take a real real big study. But, uh, hey, maybe they've got their analytics people on that, and they could tell you. But if so, you would have think maybe they would have avoided it this year. <laughs> yeah, no And that's what we were hoping. But, of course, that's not who this team is. And if you look at through 69 games, last year they were 34 and 35. This year they're 35 and 34. We have been harping on this about the juice ball. And it started in spring training going, these record home run numbers, something's up. And now everybody's really getting involved. So Ken Rosenthal with a big article today in The Athletic. David Schoenfield of ESPN.com is now doing an article about it. Something is up with the ball. I asked Bob Melvin in Tampa about it during the Bob Melvin show. What do you think about the baseball and what do you think Major League Baseball has to do? Well, you know, I'm just listening to what people are saying. I certainly think that there are, uh, you know, a number of uh, longtime players, ex-players, who are looking at what's going on and saying there is something afoot. Um, baseball does lots of testing. Uh, you know, a couple years ago they did some tests and they went like, oh, yeah, you know, it, it is actually traveling a little further. Um, it, if that's the case again this year, you know, hopefully they will have some testing and they will – you know, be transparent with what the tests are showing them. Uh, there are other things potentially that are going on too. I mean, we know some of the things that happened when Homer rates rose in the eighties and nineties. Um, not saying necessarily that that's the case, but sometimes, you know, there are things like that going on and also, you know, pitchers throwing so hard, you know, some guys connect with a guy with fastball traveling hundred miles an hour, 97, 98 miles an hour. That's, you know, we see the exit velocities, my gosh, those balls are going to go out of the park. So, uh, again, this is one where I'm not 100% sure where you could say there's one exact cause or maybe it's just a little bit of a bunch of things kind of adding up to it, but I would like to see some test results. Okay, so we're on pace for 6,566 home runs. That's going to be nearly 1,000 <laughs> more than last year. And get this, entering Wednesday's game, 25 players had already hit 17 home runs, putting putting them on a 40-plus home run pace. The single-season record for players with 40 home runs or more was 17 in 1996. We've got 25 guys. I mean, it's just every number you see, it's record-breaking. And it, that's just – is it good for the game? Well, you know, those, uh, those big home run numbers in the 90s were kind of credited with bringing the game back after the strike. So people like home runs, uh, you know, every, everybody but pitchers really likes home runs. So 
uh, yeah, it's tough to say. Teams are going to have to figure out a way to, to combat it, so that could be interesting. Um, you know, there's this whole the shift. Guys are just trying to hit over the shift, so they're trying to, you know, they, you're basically selling out home run or nothing because of the shift. Some of that's going on. Things eventually kind of come back around. I don't know if this is going to be good for the game, bad for the game, but I think fans in general love to see lots of home runs. You, the, the Oakland A's are a team that makes very good use of home runs. I mean, their record in games in which they homer is, um, you know, significantly better than uh, when they do not. And, of course, they've got a lot of guys up and down the lineup who can. So this is a big, big weapon for the Oakland A's. Yeah, if they don't homer, they usually don't win. So when they do homer, I think we're all happy because they got a shot at winning the game. So we know that when the A's are in it, David and Billy will make moves. And right now they are in it. And with the trading deadline being different this year, July 31st, we're talking about a hard date. Do What do you think will be happening with the A's earlier than normal, and where do you think they need to improve? Well, personally, I wouldn't mind seeing them pick up, uh, you know, a reliable veteran starter, even though, they're, you know what, they're getting very good results out of the rotation right now. Fifth starters, you know, a little bit up in the air, but they do have guys coming back from injuries. Uh, what they did last year, I think, is more likely to be what they do this year if they make any moves at all, um, is improving the bullpen, which this year they really need. Um, last year, you know, they were augmenting what was already a spectacularly good bullpen. Uh, this year, I, I, I think that they could, you know, I, I'm not quite sure how much flexibility they have in the bullpen. And they also might be looking at it and going like, look, we're going to have A.J. Puck in the bullpen. I mean, they, they know that. Uh, Jarrell Cotton, when he's ready, he'll be in the bullpen. Uh, that's two spots right there. And, you know, you've got Lazardo and Manaya coming for the rotation. So it's entirely possible that they might not do much at all. Uh, they've got the ability within their organization, assuming all these guys come back fully healthy, to address some of their own needs. Uh, and if they do, you know, decide they need something like, you know, a change at catcher, they got Sean Murphy who's going to be pretty healthy here soon. Um, if they wanted a speed guy, they've got Jorge Mateo. I mean, they they really do have um, some specific answers to specific questions internally, assuming, again, full health for these guys. When is the last time a Stockton-Ports game meant so much as we saw last <laughs> Tuesday? Yeah, that was fun. Um, uh, I, when you look at the numbers and Puck's throwing 98, 99, and Lazardus throwing 97, that's, that's pretty great now. We know, County, we've covered so many guys coming back from injuries. It is seldom easy. There are always, you know, little things that crop up here and there. We just saw with Real Cotton uh, and the hamstring injury he, he incurred um, and, and required surgery for. He, he is expected to pitch again this year, um, but it could be a while. So uh, it, chances are maybe one of these guys out of the, the guys that are still to come back might have a little bit of a setback at some point. But so far, man. Uh, encouraging to more than encouraging. Very few people in the history of this game ever had good numbers against Randy Johnson, the big unit. One of those human beings is actually Bob Melvin. Bob Melvin did well against Randy Johnson. He was also a part of the staff with Randy Johnson that won the World Series in 2001 when they took down the New York Yankees. So when Bob Melvin actually compares A.J. Puck to Randy Johnson – it really makes you go, wow! I I I gotta I, I gotta believe him. Yeah, absolutely. One of the other guys who hit Randy Johnson great, Randy Velarde. Weirdly, so yeah, um, yes, but uh, absolutely. I mean, AJ, he's got absolutely dominating stuff when he's on. Um, if he's in the strike zone, he's healthy. He is an absolute beast. I would, you know, it makes sense for them to put. Him and Cotton when he's ready in the bullpen because of the innings limitations coming back from Tommy John surgery. But I also just love the idea of a big left-hander coming out of the bullpen and throwing gas and with, uh, you know, sensational stuff. That could be really fun to see. Kind of like what David Price did for the Rays in their World Absolutely. Series. Right? Absolutely. Very similar. Uh, and maybe with even better stuff. All right, let's end on this. I want to make you and the great Ken Korak money. I know you have a big book signing coming up. Where can we find it? East Bay Booksellers in Berkeley on Saturday, 1130 to 1. So uh, if you're coming out to the evening game at the Coliseum, 
you know, maybe come to the book signing first and get a bite to eat and then head over to the ballpark. I think that works out perfectly. Yeah, we got, we have fireworks on Saturday, right? No. Yeah. Yeah. That's Fire- a I mean, that's that's what seems like a pretty nice full day in the East Bay. I guess fireworks is tomorrow night. What's the special Look at the special event for tomorrow. I know there's a special event on Saturday. So once again, we can find you in Berkeley where? East Bay Booksellers in Berkeley, 11:30 to 1 on Saturday. Have a fun time, sell some books, and we'll see you tomorrow. Fantastic. Thanks, Tony. Susan, always money in the bank. Now, Alex Jensen filled in for me when I was on the road with the Oakland Athletics, and he got a chance to sit down with Steve Phillips. And I love these ex-GMs who turn media guys because they can really give you the insight of what it is like to be a general manager in Major League Baseball and to give you insight of how the business works. Uh, he's a really good interview. You can also follow him on Twitter, at Steve Phillips GM. Here is Alex Jensen with Steve Phillips. Conversation continues. News is uh, we're joined here on A's Cast Live by uh, Steve Phillips. He is the co-host of the leadoff spot on SiriusXM MLB Network Radio. Steve, thanks for joining us, man. How you doing? I'm doing great. Good to be with you. Uh, thanks for uh, thanks for taking the time. Uh, we were just talking about uh, you know home runs and, and the amount of home runs that are being hit right now. What's your take on this, Steve? Is this is this good for the game? Well, I, I don't think it's bad for the game. I, I think the home runs in themselves isn't the problem. I think the strikeouts is probably the bigger issue and and, uh, I think there's probably clearly you know an adjustment that's been made by hitters with the launch angle of the bat to lead to the more home runs I think the higher velocity is leading to the more home runs but I think absolutely the baseball is leading to more home runs that there's a a different baseball now that uh, than maybe what was used five years ago whether they you know whether it's you know in the construction of it the production of it whatever the leather the seams whatever it is They've done testing with it, right? That the the drag coefficient is less, therefore the ball is traveling through the air more, and it sure seems like guys touch the baseball and it sails right now. But I, I think that fans like home runs. Uh, I think that the commissioner would just love there to be more singles and doubles and less strikeouts and and uh, and more balls put in play overall just to get some action and some movement on the field. That that's what we were saying is is that it's the strikeouts that that's hurting the game more than anything right now, right? Because Obviously, uh, with a the strikeout, there are more pitches thrown, which means a longer, you know, more time is is being elapsed, and we're, we get longer games. Oh yeah, I, I, I don't think there's any question about that, and, and that uh, you know, I think that that there's more swings and misses, more foul balls. You know, the the high fastball has become the way to counteract the launch angle of the swing. Right, if there's an uppercut, then there's a hole at the top of the zone to be able to try to run the ball before the hitter can get the bat to catch up to it. And if they do, a lot of times they'll hit the bottom of the baseball and they'll yeah. follow it off, which extends the at-bat in the innings as well. So, uh, listen, there's a lot of factors that are going into it. Uh, and, you know, I don't, I don't know how you're going to legislate anything. You know, one of the biggest differences is in the analytics, what teams have figured out is if you're going to send three batters to the plate in an inning, what's the best way to try to score a run? Is to try to have all three of them hit a single, or is it to have all three of them try to hit a solo home run? And I think the answer is, is to have all three try to hit a solo home run. And that's why you've seen a change in the launch angle uh, and hitters trying to hit the bottom of the baseball to hit it in the air instead of trying to hit the top of the ball and hit it on the ground. And, and uh, therein lies the strikeouts, the difference, the swings, and, and the change in the, in the way that pitchers now try to counteract what hitters are doing. They're trying to lift the baseball, and therefore the way to do it is throw it at the top of the zone and at the very bottom of the zone, but low ball pitches right now are getting hit because that plays into the swing path of the batters who are, are you know, fighting for launch angle. Steve Phillips joining us here on A's Cast Live. Alex Jensen with you. Along with the home runs here, Steve, we get into the, the bat flips and admiring the handiwork. We saw it with Madison Bumgarner and, and Max Muncie this past weekend. We saw it with the A's with Mark Canna and Adrian Sampson. Where, where are you on this issue? I have no issue with players pumping their fist or flipping their bats. I just don't. I, and I'm kind of old school. And, and, and maybe there was a day where it bothered me, but I kind of look at it right now and think, okay, if a guy hits on the line, he's excited. Why can't he celebrate it? And, that's, and I don't think there should be taken necessarily as showing up a pitcher. Madison Bogarner was completely out of line the other day with Max Muncie. Uh, Madison Bogarner is insulted if you hit a home run against him. So he'd rather you not. Well, look, get over it. I mean, and I understand that, that and look, I, I think he's a great competitor. 
everybody, though, excuses his behavior and categorizing it as, well, that's just what a competitor does. Forget it. It's immature. It's inappropriate. And it's, 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 he's a protagonist looking for a fight. Uh, and I think that we have to start to eliminate that nonsense from the game. So, you know, look, I don't, I don't think bat flips in and of themselves are trying to show anybody up. Tim Anderson and his bat flip this year, which this guy says he hit a home run and he was playing up to his teammates. He wasn't trying to do it to make the pitcher look bad or embarrass right. anybody. And if you're embarrassed or if you're bothered by it, then get him out. Don't throw a 95-mile-per-hour fastball behind his back. Don't throw it somebody's head. How about trying to make a pitch to get the guy out? And let, and then you can pump your fist if you want because you're happy about it. But I think we've got to stop this sort of retaliation nonsense before, before somebody gets seriously hurt. I, I completely agree. And by the way, I, I thought an all-timer on comeback lines was Max Muncy telling Madison Bumgarner to go get the baseball out of the ocean. The best. Oh, that's <laughs> the best line ever. Right? If you, don't want, if you don't want me to look at it and get it out of the ocean, I could not have been better said. Oh man! Well, let, let's get to the uh, let's get to the A's here, uh, Steve. Where do you see this team right now? They've been a little inconsistent. Obviously, they just picked up a huge series win today, going six and four on a three city road trip. Do you see this team as a contender? I, I think they've got a chance to compete for a wild card spot. I, I don't, you know, and listen, they're in about the same spot now as they were last year, right? Uh, when they got up to a bit of a slow start, went on to win ninety seven games. Now, I don't look at them as a ninety seven win team, but I didn't look at last year's team as a 97-win team. So, uh, you know, can they do it again? Yeah, they can. I don't think they're catching the Houston Astros. I honestly don't think it's possible. I don't think they have the depth of talent to be able to do it. And I don't think the configuration, the way that they do it, sort of building it from the back of the game forward and then trying to, you know, figure out the early innings with the pitching to stay close, hold the deficit, let your team come back and win and outslug the opponent. I don't I don't know that that, that uh, can, is going to catch the Astros. It's going to win every type of way. Uh, but it could get them into the wild card. Uh, and, and I think the real question is going to be how aggressively does Billy Bean go at the trade deadline to be, uh, you know, the first or second wild card team and, and, and very well likely the second wild card team, considering how good the American League East is with the Yankees and Rays and where the Red Sox might get back into that too. So uh, they're, they're a playoff contender, but I think really only for a second wild card spot. Well, play GM for me for a second, Steve. If you are Billy Bean, where are you looking to try to improve this club? I mean, I'd love to add a starting pitcher, and especially, you know, look, if they, if they could add a Marcus Stroman, who you can control for another year beyond this year. Would love that. Uh, and, you, you know, you've got your window of guys now that, uh, you know, you've got Chapman and Olsen, and you've got Chris Davis signed for a couple of years. You know, you've got your core of your offensive players. Then adding a guy like Stroman, you know, I wouldn't rent anybody and, and, and pay a heavy price for it. Bumgarner wouldn't be on my radar if I'm the, uh, uh, the Oakland A's. But a guy like Stroman might be, you know, Billy Bean, I think he, you know, they might do something with a guy like Aaron Sanchez, who keeps having blister problems, and, and, but he's got a great arm. And Billy always seems to take that guy and find a way to get the most out of him there. David Force. So, you know, I, I think there's, there's potential for those types of deals. Uh, but, uh, you know, and I think they, you know, if I fortify the bullpen more, which he always does, and, and shorten the game and make sure that every day you've got ample arms to go to, and then just hope that, that you catch lightning and you guys can get hot and swing the bat and kind of, you know, and find a way to win. But I think they're going to have to add more to that starting pitching than what they did a year ago. On a national level, Steve, who, who are some of the bigger names that you could see moving at the deadline? Well, you know, I think Nick Castellanos in the outfield for the Tigers is probably a guy who will move uh, and, uh, you know, could uh, could certainly help. He's, he's been off a little bit of a slow start, but but a guy that, you know, a year ago was, you know, last couple, really his entire career has been a solid offensive contributor, right-handed power, and a guy who could certainly deliver. I think certainly Madison Bumgarner is going to get traded, uh, you know, and, and you know, he, he got cute with his no-trade list, right? He's got a 10-team no-trade list, and I think where he's got to be careful uh, is that anything he does to prohibit himself from being traded is a mistake. So, you know, he put all of the contenders on his no-trade list because, you know, he doesn't have a big contract. I think he wants to get paid uh, to be able to go to the place he chooses to go to. Uh, and But if, it, if he overplays his hand and it means he doesn't get dealt, then it means he gets a qualifying offer in free agency. If he gets traded, there's no qualifying offer. And I look at him a lot like I do Dallas Keuchel. Uh, and, you know, for Keiko, I think some part of the qualifying offer ended up impacting him late in free agency. So I think he's got to be really careful. There. I do think Stroman gets moved. 
I think the Indians are going to be a really interesting team to see what they decide to do. Whether they decide to move a Brad Hand, whether they decide to move um, uh, a, uh, uh, a Trevor Bauer or not. I think they're, they're going to be a really intriguing team. And, and look, I think if the Nationals don't sign Anthony Rendon, they have to trade him. They cannot do what they did with Bryce Harper, hold on to him and take a draft pick. It would be silly for them to do that. Uh, and if they can't sign, I believe, if they can't sign Rendon, then there's no obvious replacement for them in the free agent market. Okay, we'll just send somebody else instead of him. Arenado's off the board. Uh, maybe it would be Donaldson on a one-year deal, but you don't know predictably, and he's not playing you know, like Rendon's playing. And I look at them thinking, if you can't sign Rendon, then trade Scherzer, too. Yeah. Uh, you got two years of Scherzer after this year, uh, and I would do a short, quick rebuild. Think that, that uh, Soto and Robles and Turner are the core of your team moving forward. You've got Keyboom coming. Uh, and I think I'd do a quick retool there and go back in it. Now, I don't know that they will. I don't think they're trading Scherzer, but they absolutely need to train Anthony Rendon if they can't sign him. Corey Seager obviously went down last night with a hamstring. How do you see the Dodgers uh, remedying that uh, kind of hole at shortstop? They had to do it last year. Yeah, they had to do it last year, and, and you know they were certainly able to do it. And so, you know, I think that, that you know, it will be Chris Taylor and, and Kiki Hernandez most likely, you know, holding the position down. Uh, you know, you wonder if uh, if the Reds fall out of it any further, whether Jose Iglesias might be a guy who can really pick it. He's actually swinging at that pretty well this year, too. He might be an option for them to consider going out in the market and try to get. Uh, and so, you know, they, they may be able to get a placeholder. But Seager, you know, their, their expectation is he'll be back in four to six weeks. And it's the same because he was just starting to come around swinging the bat. He had gone from 238 to 278 over the last couple of weeks. He looked like, you know, he had finally shaken off the rust and was ready to start looking like Corey Seager again. So this is a tough blow. And, and late in the game, after he had sprinted and run multiple times, it's just odd that that sort of injury happened. Steve Phillips, I appreciate the time, my friend. Uh, next time you're out in the East Bay, come check in with us over at the Coliseum. Oh, terrific. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. Well, I absolutely love doing these A's unfilters. I hope you guys really like the interviews. Coming up next, we're going to do one that's going to have Marcus Simeon, Matt Williams, Josh Fegley, and Scott Emerson. That's coming your way real soon. That's going to do it for A's Unfiltered. Enjoy A's Cast powered by TuneIn. This has been a presentation of the Oakland Athletics. Hey, Rob Bradford here. You guys know I'm always up for a good MVP story, and one of the best stories is Wasabi Technology. Wasabi is the world's hottest cloud storage company, and it's become the go-to provider for professional and collegiate sports teams, including 20 major league baseball teams like the Red Sox and NHL teams like the Bruins and Vancouver Canucks. Even the Liverpool Football Club is getting in on Wasabi action. So why is Wasabi the MVP? Well, Wasabi was purpose-built to free businesses from skyrocketing storage costs and unpredictable transaction fees that the Amazons of the world are charging. In fact, Wasabi is up to 80% less than those hyperscalers and doesn't charge a cent for businesses to access their data from Wasabi's AI-enabled intelligent media storage, Wasabi Air, to the industry's only cloud storage service with triple protection against cyber criminals, data deletion, and ransomware. Wasabi's taking the lead in driving innovation in data storage and helping sports teams to unleash the power of their data. Wasabi, another Boston-based championship team.